Christ above us, Christ below us, Christ before us, Christ behind us, Christ beside us, Christ be with us. Amen. Please be seated. Happy for the crowd today, given that it is Dragon Con weekend. The weekend when, while going out for burritos, we might encounter a Sith Lord ordering a sofrito in front of us at Chipotle, or one of the Mario brothers buying beer. And traffic in overbooked hotels aside, you know it's Dragon Con weekend in Atlanta because you see people going up and down Cortland Street and Piedmont and downtown um, dressed in all kinds, is all kinds of characters that we might not even recognize. Um, my daughter on several years went as, as various incarnations of Doctor Who. Um, my son's gone as various things from uh, video games. Even my uh, sort of chosen son, Kieran, who is redheaded and male, occasionally goes as Orphan Annie, which is always interesting. And, you know, during the next few weeks, we'll be reading from the prophets. And the prophets of Scripture would make great Dragon Con characters. They really would. I don't know that anyone would recognize me if I, uh, for instance, dressed up like Isaiah. Well, that would actually be being undressed like Isaiah, who walked around preaching naked for three years. Ezekiel, who's, who we read in a couple of weeks, whose miracles numbered from uh, making an axe head float, which is kind of interesting. And this one, this gem, uh, lying on his left side for 430 days or 390, depending on who you are, uh, just to protest that the children of Israel were being disobedient to God. And Jeremiah, who we read today, um, his words are beautiful poetry today, aren't they? But Jeremiah even got this strange order from God to, to get some new underwear and then never wash it, and then store it under a rock next to the river and then get it out so he could see uh, what the children of Israel and Judah and Jerusalem would someday be like because they were being dis- disobedient. I mean, Jeremiah today talks about God's, about eating God's words and about sitting alone and indignant while merrymakers surround him. And you know, our prophets really are, are kind of like the performance artists of the Bible, aren't they? You know, in a weekend when we're surrounded by people engaged in, in performance art, I, I think that we sometimes can can see what they were meant to do for us and maybe from that see what other things that we surround surround ourselves with in this tradition were meant to do for us. The prophets were meant to, always meant to move us and sometimes to shock us, but certainly to propel us, push us, drag us sometimes, inspire us, hopefully, into searching out new ways to be human, new ways to follow God. Too often we modern types just like to write them off, don't we? I I don't know about you, but when I hear these things sometimes, um, I want to stick to the nice Jesus-y stuff that talks about love and sending all the children to me. 
want to consign them to a view of God that's just not consistent with what we know today. You know, Paul, who can be very harsh sometimes, he gives us a seemingly impossible list of commands today, doesn't he? How do we overcome the huge evil of the modern world with love in ways that he talks to us? What they tell us sometimes seems impossible. Rob Bell, in his newest book, What is the Bible?, talks about how in the rabbinic tradition, they talk about Scripture having 70 faces. And he says, so you read it and you keep turning it like a gem, letting the light reflect through in new and unexpected ways. I mean, it's kind of like these windows we have around us. If you've ever been in here after about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, you find all these new and unexpected things in them, but you have to show up sometimes, and you have to stop and you have to notice. We are meant to notice all of these things. The costumery, the wood, the architecture, the beautiful glass, and these words that we hear in prayer and in Scripture, we are meant to notice. I mean, take our Scripture, for instance. You know, even this week, we... We, we see Jesus departing uh, from his, what we might think of as his usual self, and calling Peter Satan and talking about retribution and God setting all things right, and Paul calling us to associate with the lowly and to bless our persecutors. That ought to really stand out. Who feels like blessing their persecutors? Which lowly is he talking about, we wonder? Are they here among us today? How do we do these things? How do we bless these people and love these people? Is it with prayer, with with hugs, with casseroles, with, with assistance? This disturbs us, doesn't it? And then Jesus, living a life of absolute love and integrity, tells his his followers that he's he's going to go into town and he's going to be subjected to death and to violence at the hands of the oppressive government. But then he says God will repay everyone for what has been done. Is, Is Jesus talking about vengeance here? Jesus isn't vengeful. Or is he talking about something more prophetic here? That, that, that someday violence will not be able to rule. We are meant to notice. We are meant to be a little confused and a little disoriented. And you know, there's, there should be nothing more disorienting than Holy Communion every week. If we really think about it, uh, communion is a radical thing. Ancient Christians, uh, there, there's, there's extant... Uh, writings from people who were contemporary with them in ancient Rome who talked about them being cannibals because they shared the body and blood of Jesus, these atheist Christians, as they called them. We forget how radical a thing this is. I was reminded of this years ago when my my godson, Luca, who's now uh, 14, when he was about eight or nine, one of his older cousins, who's Roman Catholic, was uh, having her first communion. So he drove up to Columbus to see, and everything was fine. He kind of related to it uh, being a church service because he, he goes to a temple every week. But then he got, 
His mom told me about how he got wide-eyed and, and maybe even a little pale when he heard them talking about eating the body and drinking the blood of Jesus. He took us at our word here that, that this was real, what we were doing. And so later on, when I, I tried to, to give him, you know, the middle way, because that's what we're into, uh, that Episcopalians believe that the bread and wine are indeed bread and wine, but also the body and blood of Jesus. It didn't really work with a nine-year-old. And so he said to me, so it just stands for body and blood. I said, no, it doesn't stand for it. It's real body and blood, but also bread and wine. Well, we keep having the same discussion years later. I keep having the same discussion with his dad, too. And I think they all kind of get it. Yet the jewel keeps turning for us and for them. And so as we turn this, this 70 face jewel, we, we can even see that, that this meal here, this ordinary bread and wine even, that we, we can take it in some weeks hardly noticing anything other than the taste of the bread and the wine. Other weeks it may be the only thing that we feel as if is right and true in the world. Other weeks it may be our road to forgiveness with someone who sits across the aisle for us that we don't get along with very well. Other weeks... It may strengthen us to go out and do work in the world that we have embraced as our vocation. Yet every week we are meant to notice these things. We are meant to have them trouble us. We are meant to have them turn us towards God and meant to have them strengthen us for our mandate as we pray after communion to love and serve God with gladness and singleness of heart. The end result of this, when we're at our best, is that we're moved out of our complacency and our sorrow and maybe even our, our stillness by noticing all of these things and noticing how they turn us towards a new way of being human. You know, one great gift that Christ followers can offer in this world, especially those who call themselves Episcopalians, and this is something that gets me incredibly excited about this church, is that within all these mysteries, within all these strange things that we notice and we live with and we talk about with together, we're able to hold things like reason and faith and tradition and the words of Scripture into a kind of, a kind of tension, aren't we? And I don't know about you, but, but I believe that the world needs more people who can hold truths in tension with one another. We're able not just to revel in the either or, but the both and. And as the world increasingly polarizes itself into factions, it follows, doesn't it, that we need people in the world who can make both and a way of life. All that and bread and wine and some old scriptures that we read. Kim talked to us last week about how in the church and in the world we can be found by a God who loves us beyond measure. And so in all of these things, we are meant to find God and God is meant to find us. So in the prophets and in the words of Jesus and in this holy communion, 
we are given the opportunity on a weekly basis to join ourselves with the creative work of God in the world. And you know, those times when we, we notice things or take issue with them, and I'll give you a little homework for this week. Just notice one thing that you take with you in the week and think about. I promise not to ask you what, what it was this week. But notice just one thing this week and let it sit with you during your week, during your prayer life, during that quiet time in the car or during the odd moments. Those times when we notice and and when we take issue with things and when we find comfort in the things that we hear and do hear are, in fact, we are told by the prophets, God at work in us and through us. We live in the midst of an infinitely faceted jewel. If only we turn ourselves toward it and take part in its beauty.